Welcome back into Crossing Broadcast. Uh, I am Russ Joy at Joy on Broad, joined as always, sometimes, kind of all the time, sort of sometimes, by uh, Kevin Kincaid, who writes for the site, does uh, most of, many of, the uh, things that you read every day on uh, Crossing Broad. So, uh, Kevin, you can find him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Kevin, a uh, lot of stuff going on. Of course, we have the uh, the Eagles we're going to talk about, you, uh, the team you cover, the Sixers, and of course, mm. we're going to get gritty with it. Well, Russ, uh, just wanted to say thanks for having me again for the second time in two weeks. Um, it's great to be with you uh, in Philadelphia, as Scott Pelly used to say when he would do hits with us at Channel 3. Um, and yeah, we have an Eagles win. We have uh, some humidity at the Palestra, and we have the Flyers mascot that we never knew we needed. Oh, but boy, are we glad that we have him. Not all heroes wear capes. He might not be the one that we uh, we deserve, but he's the one that we need right now. Do you sense a difference in how people are treating Gritty now 24 hours after the announcement? Yeah, I think I think the initial uh, fear and uh, loathing that kind of set in when uh, when we saw... The, here, here's an interesting thing. So Anthony and I were down in Voorhees on Saturday um, covering practice, and it, it was definitely coming up among some of the fans that were in attendance, and then it, I think there had been whispers... Uh, in some back rooms about the fact that some people were a little bit nervous within the team about the rollout of the mascot of, of gritty Um, people who were not necessarily involved in the design of gritty. Of course there's no design. Never mind. Gritty just came from outer space or whatever, but uh, yeah, there really wasn't much. There, there, there was a, um, I think there was a fear that it wasn't going to go over well. And I think like initially, of course, people were kind of freaked out and they thought it was a, a frightening uh, fanatic with no nose kind of thing. Uh, one of the ones that I liked was seeing that it was like animal from the Muppets that, you know, got hooked on meth or something. But um, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I actually kind of like Gritty. When you look at the the cartoon design that was behind him at one of the um, the reveals, he was supposed to have like different colored eyebrows and, and they were supposed to be like lighter. And I mm. think it would have kind of softened up his face a little bit, but are people reacting different a day later? Yeah. I think the second that he tweeted, uh, Pittsburgh quoted the, the penguins did a yeah. quote tweet where they said, LOL. Okay. Yeah. And, and Gritty responded with, uh, you better sleep with one eye open tonight, bird. Like that's it. Yeah. I responded with the picture of, uh, iceberg, the penguins mascot getting his ass kicked in, uh, the, 1995 movie sudden death but i don't think many people really got it because uh that movie came out 23 years ago yeah and Uh, jean-claude van damme is not really like in the we i don't think he's in the wheelhouse of your typical millennial i I don't want to stereotype but i don't know how many millennials have seen sudden death so no i I doubt it uh he does have that amazon show i think it's uh, jean jean-claude van johnson yeah, he does or something the, like that. I think right? he did a Tostitos commercial too. I think oh, I saw him on the. Yeah. Um, so there was some uh, some fear and loathing in in Voorhees then when it came to the rollout. Of... I think people were nervous. Well, you know they what? Were. I think he. Re- I think one of the things that helped was that the game, uh, like we didn't really know what we were going to expect from from Homeboy, you know. And he turned out to kind of be like a crazy bastard, you know. He <laughs> yeah. he shot somebody with the t shirt gun. He was like. In, <laughs> In the crowd, he fell on the ice. So he's just kind of like twice. A goof, goofy, Scott Hartnell uh, is actually on the inside of the costume. <laughs> no, th- I think that's what I like the most. Like I, I, I don't know what the actual plan was for Gritty or what Gritty's on ice persona was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But if if Gritty is legitimately going to go out in in games, fall around the ice, get out involved in the crowd.
crowd like he's Diamond Dallas Page at an yeah. old you know WCW event. And then like happens like if the team is losing, he happens to get pissed off at the the uh, fellow workers on the ice when they're yeah. losing and starts shooting the uh, yeah, team yeah. employees with the uh, with the t-shirt can and like i'm all in on this i don't know how you could possibly be against gritty well he's like i think in a strange way people are going to realize that something's going to click and they're going to say you know this guy's a crazy motherfucker just like we are he's one of us you know and that's going to be the connection there where they say you know welcome in you hate the penguins blah 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 you fall over on the ice you're a crazy dude and you just like to have fun you know you are Philadelphia and like you just sort of like love him for his imperfections as we love everything in Philadelphia right is that not the kind of stereotype exactly cliche that we throw around but listen well like, then Scott, I mean Scott Van Pelt had it on his uh his one big thing is that what it's called uh, oh, uh his, on, like, the, on the he, on the midnight thing that he yes. kind of highlights yeah and and he he's right though he was talking about like the different hockey mascots so this is like the the one thing that I I think I kind of took away from the whole thing mm-hmm. so people people seem to have an issue with the fact that like gritty just kind of looks a little bit spooky or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he is definitely kind of cracked out. Like whatever, fine. But like if you look at the rest of the hockey mascots, like there aren't that many one that are that are like I would say exciting or or whatever. Like I think mm-hmm. the the Capitals have the bald eagle. Like I think that one's pretty cool. Nashville's um, uh, saber tooth tigers okay. But like the fact that the Carolina Hurricanes have a pig as their mascot or a hog, sorry, a hog oh, as their mascot, like hog. there there are some like really dumb looking uh, things. And I think it's Dallas is the one that has what looks like. Remember, um, and it's always so- uh, it's always soccer and uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. There was the episode with the Philly frenetic, and at the end, yeah, Charlie yeah. Charlie Kelly's like, uh, it's the Philly fanatic. It can't be. You can't say the Philly fanatic. It has to be the Philly fanatic because you can't say fanatic because we'll get sued by Major League Baseball. He's getting like dragged out of the courtroom. Like that to me is what Dallas's uh, the Dallas Stars mascot yeah. looks like. It is like a knockoff fanatic. So, I mean, all things considered, if if uh, if Gritty is going to be kind of like a drunken fool who yeah. just you know falls around, like we're going to love him and it's fine. And look, I I put it to the test. You know, people were wondering how it got through all the rounds that it did. Yeah, I showed the the Gritty video, the thirty second um like reveal clip or whatever where he comes out and he's like rolling the belly showed it to my three-year-old and one and a half year old and like once they got over the uh initial horror of like what is that they started laughing and they liked it and ultimately mascots <laughs> are for the kids right so well we just had I this i mean you know you and me and phil you know had discussions i mean phil was on on my podcast like last week or the week before and i think we had talked about this in slack or whatever the philadelphia union went went through this like two weeks ago or three weeks ago when they rolled out their first mascot ever. And a lot of the complaints that I was hearing from Flyers fans sounded very similar to what I was hearing from the union fan base, which was basically this idea of like, you know, sell me on why we need a mascot. You know, what does a mascot do for the game day atmosphere? Or in a way, I think Flyers fans and union fans are similar in that they feel like the respective atmospheres at their arenas or at their stadiums are authentic uh, and organic, uh, in a, in a way, you know, you have the sons of Ben yelling in the in the river end, and they're banging the drums and stuff like that. The Flyers have a good atmosphere. There's there's a uh, you know enough going on on the ice that you don't need these silly like um, you know capitalist America sports distractions that you'd have at like the Sixers where the dunk squads doing backflips off the trampoline, and you got the dance squad, and you got the eighty year old ladies who are out there doing the dance, and it, like it's not. I think Flyers fans, NHL fans have always felt like that stripped down thing just makes it more authentic, more organic to them, you know? And I, I get that line of thinking, but if, if you're telling me 
you know, some kid, seven-year-old kid goes and sees Gritty and he wants to get his picture taken with the orange blob or whatever and he has fun doing it, then whatever. You know, that doesn't hurt any any older person, any older, you know, 27-year-old Flyers fan who's got season tickets or something like that. And at the end of the day, if, it's, if you're making a decision on whether to include something or exclude something, I mean, you always go with the choice to include something. So, no, I mean, some people might think it's corny or whatever the hell, but whatever. You know, if you want to go down to Town Energy Stadium, see Fang, get your have your 10 year old kid take a picture with it. <laughs> Fine. If you want to go down to Wells Fargo Center and your nine year old kid wants to get a picture with gritty. I don't see how that really hurts the atmosphere for any, any adult there, you know? I'm just like Fang still rubs me the wrong way a little bit because Fang kind of looks like Littlefoot from the land before time mixed with a salamander. Snakes don't have yeah, limbs. He does look like a kind of like a dinosaur, doesn't he? He does. He looks yeah. more like dinosaur with mohawk and it's fine. Yeah, it really is. But like it's it's hard to make a snake a mascot. There's a reason that it hasn't really been done before. Yeah, you can't yeah. just add limbs. It doesn't work like that. It, uh, that. That one that one I had a little bit of an issue with. Gritty's fine. Gritty can be like weird and strange and, and fall over and just <laughs> live his life, live his, his best life. Like if we needed to know what it would look like yeah. if Scott Hartnell blew all of his uh, professional money like Iverson used to at the craps table, uh, like that's fine. Like we fast forward a little bit in the future, but that's Well, that's listen, fine. if Gritty if Gritty jumps in the uh, in the penalty box and goes after Ty Domi's son, <laughs> then he's good great. in my book. It'd be great. Um, all right, before we uh, move on to the Eagles and the Sixers, a, uh, a real quick word from our sponsors. Of course, we've got Amerigas, the nation's number one propane provider, found locally at 7-Eleven and Home Depot and at thousands of locations uh, across the country. Uh, we on this site, crossingbroad.com forward slash, thank, a big thank you to uh, Al Bamondo, who is a, a big, I guess, listener and, and Twitter interactor. Uh, for pointing out that it is, in fact, a forward slash, not a backslash. So at crossingbroad.com forward slash Amerigas, you can uh, enter to win. There's about six days left on the contest. Uh, it is a giveaway for a, uh, a grill. We can't mention the name brand of the grill. We can say it is probably the uh, the premier uh, I would say the premier brand in all of grilling, mm. uh, a, a grill valued at $499. All you have to do is go on to crossingbroad.com forward slash Amerigas, put in your name and your email, and you'll be entered to win. Uh, you just have to check the box that says that you are, uh, you know, you accept the, the terms and all that. Uh, you might get an email every once in a while from Amerigas or from Crossing Broad. So uh, that's it, uh, $499 grill and you know, get yourself ready for tailgate, get yourself ready as the Eagles continue this season and as the Sixers and Flyers prepare for uh, what should be hopefully successful playoff bound seasons. Uh, nothing better than a nice propane uh, grill and a propane tank as uh, provided by our fine friends at Amerigas. And also uh, Tropicana Sports, not Tropicana Orange Juice, Tropicana Sports. Uh, we're running promotions with them. If you go on to uh, crossingbroad.com and click on any of the Tropicana ads, uh, you can kind of find yourself in a situation where you're set up with uh, daily and weekly giveaways. Uh, there are all kinds of different um, daily and weekly competitions that you can get involved in. Sometimes it's picking five random baseball games. Sometimes it includes MMA or golf uh, or football pick them. Uh, you'll notice that on the site there are there are times that the staff will pick the week's uh, NFL games. So go on there. You pick a few games, and if you uh, finish in the top whatever percentile as dictated by the competition, you can be entered to win all kinds of prizes. Uh, past prizes have included things such as an overnight stay at the Penthouse Ocean View Chelsea Tower Suite uh, down at Tropicana, a party at Chickies and Pete's for uh, the winner and nine guests, all kinds of stuff. There have been things that have been like other... Uh, 
uh, ocean-facing suites, like all kinds of cool stuff. So it, it is no cost to you. There is no sign-up required. There is no kind of a down payment. This is not a, uh, a sports betting thing. Um, eventually, I'm sure they're going to try to open it up to that uh, when things are you know legalized in PA. But for now, it's a, uh, a no-strings-attached commitment. You just go in there, pick some games, and you know try to win. So a uh, big thank you to our friends at Tropicana Sports. Okay, so good job, Rose. Eagles. Do we go Eagles? Do you want to go with Sixers? What do you want to go? Um, what do you want to go next? We can do. Yeah, we can do. Well, let's do the Sixers because that's the most recent. Uh, I was supposed to be there tonight, but there was nothing to uh, nothing to write about, nothing to watch, and nothing to report because the scrimmage of the Plester got canceled. Um, I can't. I can't think of how many basketball games have been rained out before, but this was uh, one of them. And they just uh, because it it was pouring rain and it was it was humid, uh, they just had issues with condensation. You know, kind of like they did a couple of years ago. I, don't, I I'm sure you remember that game they had. I think they're supposed to play Sacramento at the yep. Wells Fargo Center, and I guess because the, the Flyers ice was also an issue too, and so they started getting the water on the uh, on the court, and they just couldn't do it. So um, I don't know. I mean, they had like a closed practice today. They had like a little shoot around kind of thing. Um, so it wasn't like a wasted day necessarily. I don't think they got much work in. Um, but Melbourne United's going to be in town tomorrow. They're practicing. I don't think I have an email with the. Um, well, they're going to be here. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, they'll be practicing Wednesday at Temple. I don't know what the Sixers are doing tomorrow, but um, yeah, it's a shame. I mean, because I was very interested in seeing um, how Markel Fultz looked and how Wilson Chandler fit in and. Um, you know what they did with Mike Muscala, how they how they played him as if if they played him as a four or five or whatever. So we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer to see what the hell happens. Yeah, the last time the Sixers got rained out, that was uh, November thirtieth, twenty sixteen. That was a game against the Kings, and if you remember, Demarcus Cousins went out with a mop uh, pregame, <laughs> and and he was out there pushing off. He's like, I got to get out of this place, and then eventually he ends up with uh, the Pelicans. And now, of course, you know because uh, the the Warriors needed another uh, All Star, yeah. perennial All Star, uh, first team All NBA kind of guy. Yeah, you know, right. plays for uh, for Golden State. I don't whatever. know what there, what else there really is to say. You know, they had practice yesterday, and uh, you know, it was day three of training camp. Training camp really is what just three days of practice now. It's it's not yep. like it used to be. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, you can read into this a lot or a little bit, but they uh, they did this drill at the end of practice where it's like something you do in high school, where they line everybody up. All of your teammates are on the baseline, and uh, you they pick the coach picks somebody. And you got to come and you got to shoot two free throws, and you got to make both of them. And if you don't, then your team has to run uh, run a suicide or run a mad dog. We used to call them mad dogs. You know, where you go up the up the floor and back. Yep. Um, and uh, Brett Brown. Uh, knowing that the media was in there. And there's also a lot of other people who were in the gym. There's probably like 25 to 30 media, plus like 20 extra like dignitary suit type of people who were there for the temp. They did this press conference with uh, with Temple University where they were partnering with Temple ahead of their China trip. I don't really know exactly what the deal was with that. But so point being, there were a lot more people in the gym. And I think Brett Brown was very aware of that when he got the ball back from Mike Muscala and threw it to Markel Fultz and put him on the spot in front of all those people. Um, because Mark had kind of been disappearing when we got into um, training the first first day, and I think the second day, um, he shot like one three pointer when I saw him when we got in there the first day, and then he went off to the weight room to work with Drew Hanlon. Um, so I don't I don't know if he's like avoiding us or doesn't want you know a bunch of video clips floating around out there, but he sunk both of his free throws. I don't I don't think they look perfect, but they look better than they did last year. But I just found it interesting that. Brett picked him out. I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew what he was doing when he when he put him on the spot to go 
to get shoot in front of everybody, you know? Well, in fairness, I mean, last year he stayed on the court intentionally after practice so that you guys could uh, take Zapruder film of him. And now the fact that, you know, he's uh, he's been leaving the court as you guys have been coming in certainly tells me that he's ready. Yeah. He's going to probably shoot, what, 43% from deep, uh, 60% from the field, give or take. Well, and I personally, so that's good. Yeah, I personally don't give a shit about any of those little videos. I mean, I shoot them, and I like always have some kind of little you know, goofy remark that goes with them, like tongue-in-cheek saying that to tell tells people that I don't really love doing this, but people want to see footage of the number one draft pick. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't blame them, especially after all the work that he did over the summer with Drew Hanlon, and we're supposed to see this, this different shot or, or whatnot, so... I don't. I don't blame anybody for wanting to see that kind of stuff. But um, you know, at the end of the day, just uh, you know, tonight was the night we thought we were going to see him out there. But you know, Friday we're going to have to wait wait until Friday now. So it's kind of sad. Well, we'll see. It is kind of sad. You know, and the the videos that that were released as part of that Players Tribune thing with uh, he and and Isaiah Thomas. The only thing that that I think he, he can really take out of it is from start to finish of that video, the form actually does change. Mm-hmm. Um, it it it's kind of a, a weird sort of shot putty compact shot, and the the release isn't nearly as quick as I kind of had hoped for. But whatever, like if he's able to get it off, if he's able to create separation and get the shot off, it's fine. The one thing that people seem to kind of forget is Sean Marion wasn't the worst shooter in the world and ended up being a very useful player in the NBA. Uh And Sean Marion had that really weird double hand release where it wasn't really a a guide hand on it. It really almost was a, like a chest pass. Yeah, it was. And and he was, and he was okay. And so like, obviously that's not what you were hoping uh, to get when you drafted Markel, but like if he ends up becoming a, you know, a somewhat decent threat, even if he has the ability um, to, I don't know, shoot in the 30s, 30% from yeah. from deep. I'm yeah. looking back at Sean Marion's stats right now. Sean Marion for his career shot 33% from deep. Um, he did have some really awful years from like 08 to 010. He was shooting like 15% from three. Well, you know, like but if Markel is guy... able to shoot in the 30s, like that's that's the whole thing. It's the one thing that you know, and I, I said it a ton last year, and I'll say it again this year. Like, it's the same thing with Ben. Like, if if Ben is able to shoot anywhere near 30% from deep, or at least show that he can hit a three if you leave him wide open, it changes the way the defense have to, you know a defense has to set up against them. So yeah, it, all it, all it'll do is you know add another look and it'll it'll you know obviously create some better looks for Dario for for Joel in the post for whoever the wing is playing off if it's um, you know if it's going to be JJ or if it's going to be Covington or however they decide to stack the starting lineup like. Just give the the illusion that you can shoot from deep, and it yeah. it will make defenses stay more honest. Well, you know, I mean, to the to the point with your form, I, I think it's funny because we spend so much time talking about you know what's the proper form, you know, how does this shot look, how do the mechanics look, um, but it's it there's there's no one way to shoot a basketball. You know, I think everybody would agree that all experts would agree that you know keep the elbow tucked, knees bent, and stuff like that. But it's not you get into these these finer points you go look at a guy like take like reggie miller for instance you know you know reggie scrunched his knees so much that they were almost touching when he shot you know so if you would yeah. if, if i if i gave you you know if you know how they do those things on twitter where it's like player a scored blah 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 points and blah 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 and you know player b scored this and this and this one of them is ben roethlisberger and the other is tim tebow right you know, I mean, if I showed you like a, just a black silhouette of a player and you couldn't see who he was, and I showed you their shooting form and said, this guy scored 25,000 points. You know, I mean, like that's Reggie Miller. You'd say his form is ugly as hell, but he made a lot of shots go in. So with Markel, it's not even 
his form or his mechanics. I, I want, I want people to think less about that and more about kind of what you're saying, which is just that he's showing consistency with his stroke and he's not overthinking it, that you see the same damn thing from him over and over and over again, whether it looks a little quirky or not. Cause at the end of the day, that's not really what it is. I mean, Marco Bellinelli would fall over sideways shooting shots, but he'd make them. So at the end of the day, it really wasn't even about his, his form. It was about the consistency. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Similar idea to, you know, um, I guess, you know, the, the fall away kind of guy like Redick, most of the, I don't know, was it like 80% of his shots come off the, off the dribble. They come, mm-hmm. you know, off motion. A lot of They're dribble handoff very, with Joel on yeah. the side. Yeah. Yeah. You plenty know, of, plenty of opportunity for him to, to take it without having his feet set. And it's, it's just that constant repetition. I so. would just say that like my last Sixers point is that, you know, Ben came out on Saturday and said like, don't expect me to shoot a lot of three pointers. Um, and Brett Brown kind of like echoed that, you know, he's not, he doesn't have to shoot a lot of three pointers. You know, he just, even in that area of the elbow, like, and maybe a foot off the elbow from that 12 to 14 foot to even the back to 16 foot, 18 foot range. If he can show at least that, that keeps people honest because I mean, I can't illustrate it on a podcast, but when you went, go back and look at Boston, if you look at the exact point where they were walling him off is that's where they were meeting him with the two people was right at the foul line. So he doesn't even really, I don't think he has to be a three point shooter this year. Of course you'd love for him to be that, but when was LeBron a consistent threat from three? Not, not in year two, you know, I, I'd be interested in going back and pulling that up. Maybe I can do it right now, but he was, um, do you, yeah, do you he, have that in Le, front LeBron. Of you? Yeah, LeBron didn't start shooting over. Let's see. Um, his first year, twenty nine percent from deep. Second, thirty five percent, thirty three percent, thirty two, thirty one, thirty four, thirty three, thirty three, thirty six, forty percent from deep happened with. Uh, it was his third year in Miami. Mm-hmm. It was twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. Is when he hit forty percent. It was the highest of his career. Then like thirty eight, thirty five, he had a dip uh, in the second year of returning to Cleveland. He shot thirty one percent. But the last two years, he's been around thirty six percent. But like again, you know, for him to get, let's say in that thirty five ish range consistently or somewhere around there, it was year six, year seven. He's shooting in like the thirty three to thirty six percent. So it's uh, the guy that I was kind of looking at to kind of compare it to is. Um, you know, Jason Kidd was a poor three point shooter when he came into the league. He shot 27% from, from deep as a rookie. And then like throughout the next few years, he shot anywhere from like 32 to maybe 37%. Then there were some dips like middle of his career. Like let's say you're seven year eight where he was shooting like just under, uh, 30%. If again, like looking at the way that Ben plays, like if, if Ben puts up three a game, which it, it doesn't sound like he's going to do, but in theory, if he were able to put up three per game, make one of them. That puts you in that kind of LeBron and Jason Kidd trying to, you know, learn how to get those shots for yourself and and keeping a defense honest. Now, Kidd, you know, to, you know, for whatever it's worth, his three-point attempts per game, you know, really started jacking up later in his career where he eventually got to, like, uh, 2009, 2010, Mm -hmm. I think it was, like, his 12th, 13th year in the league. He was, you know, jacking five five a game. And even at the end of his career, it was, you know, about four and a half a game. We're certainly not expecting that from Ben, but if he's able or willing to take two or three a game and and hit one, that's that's at least something. Yeah, it, that's what that's what changes, you know, schematically is or systematically as you kind of look at the way that Boston attacked him in that series. It was a lot of passivism. It was a lot of take ten feet and like go ahead, beat us from deep. And if if you can show that you can, not that you're going to want to do it 
every time up the court, but that you can do it, then then that changes the way a defense well, the has other to ha- you know, the play other you. half of it too, and I think this is kind of an underrated topic too, and this is actually, I promise, my last Sixers point. <laughs> but people always think like, well, he's got to learn how to shoot, he's got to learn how to shoot. But the addition of Markel on the floor, assuming he's good and he can shoot for you, then we're looking at this problem of getting of the same problem where we were last year of how do Ben and Markel play together. You know, I think the common thread is that it's like what you saw with TJ last year, where TJ's the ball handler, Ben goes down and plays power forward. And then even your center, Joel Embiid, can come out and shoot. So, you know, if Markel's on the floor, if J.J. Reddick's on the floor, um, if Ben Simmons is on the floor, how do you do that? I mean, Markel would have to be the ball handler, Reddick would be your shooting guard, and then Ben would have to go down and play some power forward, right? So even if he's not, you know, a three-point or a deep shooter or somebody who can pull – pull in space this year you know if he goes down and even improves his off-ball skills in sets where Markel and JJ are on the floor at the same time that's another way that he can help the team you know I think everybody's assumption was that you know yes three-point shooting yes blah blah but I don't think they really accounted for the fact that you know what well what do we do if Markel's good uh you know and also JJ might not be here after next year he's still a one-year guy I mean if you're looking a couple years down the road you know, Ben developing that off-ball power forward game as a second ball handler is probably j- just as important as, as him developing a shot, too, because he can. He, the point being is that he can help the team in either way. Yeah, I agree. That's where I think they're going to be the most dangerous. Like, the, I think the biggest thing that people, you know, seem to have forgotten about and lost in the whole, you know, Fultz canny, canny, canty shoot thing is, like, we went into last season prior to all the shot mechanic issues and questions saying like is this going to be a situation where like Fultz and and Ben can play together yeah that was that's we, a, that was the topic yeah yeah like that that and that seems to be the thing that people really aren't talking much about now it's just kind of like oh Drew Hanlon is a god because Fultz came out and he's actually shooting and and you know playing five on five scrimmages throughout the summer well that's great but we still don't know what that's going to look like ultimately if you're looking for the best lineup to go you know toe-to-toe with Boston in the Eastern Conference final um or to try to get by like let's say Toronto in in the semis um, the, the thing that you need to have is probably Fultz, Redick on the court together uh, in the backcourt and then having some combination of, of Joel, Ben, and, and probably Dario as your front court. I mean, if, if you're looking for what makes you the most dangerous, it, it has to be the idea that uh, you're going to have Ben initiating out of the post and yeah. that Mark Hill yeah. is going to be bringing the, the ball up the court like that. Well, and it might just be know. it might just be like necessity too, Russ, because you right now you don't know even know if you have a backup power forward on the roster right now. I mean, like what I mean by that is that you know last year Ursano Isova was such a like for like swap for Dario because they had essentially the same skill set. You know, um, you don't know you don't know if Mike Mascala is a, a capable backup for in this system. I mean, I'm sure he probably is, but there's no guarantee about that. So you know, theoretically, if you have Amir Johnson backing up Joel the way he did last year and then you take Dario off the floor Mike Mascala comes in that would be that would be the best situation but that might it might not work you know Mascala might be only playable as a as a as a stretch five or a small ball small ball five you know so then you stagger Robert Covington you stagger Ben Simmons there stagger Wilson Chandler put him down at the four and let him play that and maybe they just got to do backup power forward by committee um you know I think that's kind of an underrated thing you know because I mean you know as well as I do how much Brett loves that that you know European shooting stretch four. I mean that's that's crucial to to what he does. I don't need to remind anybody how how Trevor Booker looked in this system last year. 
Uh, nothing against nothing like, against nothing, him. I mean, it's just that nothing, was not his game, you know. Nothing like trading a former first round pick and a second round pick just to get Trevor Booker and then you know get rid of him a rental a few months a later. Trevor Booker rental, yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. How about mm, the uh, how about right, the Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles, man? Yeah. Who? Who? I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. Did you say the Philadelphia Union who happened to be playing in the uh, <laughs> U.S. Open Cup final on uh, on Wednesday we night? What's that? that? We'll come back we to that. We'll come back that. to that in yeah. a second. Okay. So yeah. Eagles. Yeah. So the Eagles won. That's good. The 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 first. Uh, First Eagles win. We didn't record a podcast after because it would have been too positive. Of course, we recorded right after a loss, and here mm-hmm. we are a couple of days later. You know, after taking it in that they uh, they went out and had, I don't know. I thought it was kind of an ugly game, but they you know end up victorious, and that's uh, that's all we can. Everything hope for, right? about that game and the following day, which you thought would be like a like kind of energetic day on the radio and um, on the website and just excitement on Twitter in general. The whole like weekend was just kind of blah. I don't know if it was like the shit weather or just it was kind of a boring game or like there just wasn't a ton to really talk about. There wasn't a ton to write about. I, I struggled with that, with the takeaways column, which which usually does really well every week. But, you know, my, my lead in my first paragraph in the intro was just sort of like, you know, the defense got the job done. And, you know, Carson hadn't played in nine months. They didn't. He didn't have his best wide receiver. You know, he didn't have his best running back. Um, and so in the circumstances, you take it for what it is. You know, I think you have to look glass half full when you, when you consider that. It was rainy. It was shitty. The quarterback hadn't played in forever. He didn't have Alshon Jeffrey. Jay Ajayi wasn't there. So, I mean, no, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't an instant classic. But it, it sounds like the dumbest cliche in the book, but it's so true, especially for this team based on what we saw last year, was they find ways to win when they don't play their best. <laughs> you know, we've seen yeah, we've right. seen so many Eagles teams that would have found a way to lose that game in the past that I think sometimes people need to step back and just say it's a lot easier to take the the glass half full approach to that game, you know? Yeah, I mean the running back position is still a concern, like especially with the Jai out. Like I, I I think it's probably safe to say that Doug Peterson and crew are probably looking to hand this whole thing over to Corey Clement at some point uh, in the next year or so. Um, you still don't know what JJ's knees are going to, uh, be like over the next year, year plus, but, um, you know, seeing Smallwood actually go out, uh, somebody who's a pride of, of your university, right? Yeah. Wendell didn't well, he, he went to, uh, people forget to dub VU people and forget you know, that Wendell was like, yeah, he was the big 12 rushing leader, um, wow. in 2015. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a pusher. I mean, I think was Smallwood is like, he's not going to break off some like amazing run where he stiff arms two dudes and then leaps over a guy and you know runs over another one that's that was like never his game but he's a you know he's a pretty steady <laughs> steady guy when you when you get him involved so you know he's he's more than serviceable in, in the role they're asking for him you know yeah um so i i think my biggest standout was the fact that dallas goddard after you know being behind uh joshua perkins on the depth chart mm-hmm. uh, in week two the fact that he came out and he led the team in receiving, uh, he had seven receptions to lead the team. He was tied with Zach Ertz, who came back to life in this game. Um, they both had 73 yards each. Like I, I thought those were, were two big um, takeaways. I This was, had nothing to do with the Eagles. It was really more of a Colts thing, but... You know, when people were kind of, you know, talking about leading up to the game, is Andrew Luck really back? Is he is he back to 100%? You come back to the, the Hail Mary attempt that was done at the end of the game, and it wasn't even Andrew Luck who threw it. I, I got really confused for a second. Like, did we miss Luck catching a knock on the next to last play <laughs> of the game? But no, they, they brought in 
the guy who started 15 games last year, Jacoby Brissett, to come in and attempt a uh, Hail Mary from their own 46. He almost threw it out because it threw it too far, too. Yeah, uh, because I, I presumably Andrew Luck just can't get it up you know, far enough down the field. And that, <laughs> that I thought was probably, you know, a, a heck of an indictment on, you know, how the Colts have mismanaged Andrew Luck over the course of his young career. But uh, I don't know. The Frank Reich special comes back and, you know, you're able to to beat your former assistant. I guess that's always good. Um, Derek Barnett stand out probably on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, you know, you have a, another game where Nigel Bradham's in there. And, and I think that kind of takes a lot of, pressure off of Jordan Hicks and you know Hicks ended up leading the team in tackles with eight and uh I don't know there I think probably the the biggest issue that we have going into the uh week four is Jalen Mills and of course you know Sidney Jones playing a lot in the slot and and finding success but you know what was a pro football focus had Jalen Mills rated out yeah. ridiculously high but anybody who watched the game certainly came away thinking that the uh, the green-haired monster didn't have his uh, best effort well yeah, and I wrote about that today. Um, kind of a slow day. I don't know. I was just thinking. I'm like, I woke up this morning. I'm like, I wasn't really feeling that great. I'm what the what the, I'm like, what the hell is the? Because um, yeah, I like to do the video. I like to do like the two video kind of breakdowns um, during the week. I think last week they were going into the Colts game. We talked about like you know, try to try to use your existing weapons. And to your point, you said Goddard. They finally got Goddard involved. You know, I really like the 13 personnel on the first drive where they had the three tight ends on the field. Um, you never see anybody running 13 personnel, but that's to, to the point that we were making last week. You have these guys use, this is what your strength is right now and game plan around them. You know, and Doug did that for the first, for the first drive. And, you know, the up tempo, the no huddle really helped get Carson into a rhythm, you know, eased him back into the game, gave him some easy completions and stuff like that. So I thought that made a lot of sense, but Mills, I mean, yeah, you know, the two pass interferences for 51 yards, um, but you know, he had the big pass break up in the end zone. Um, on uh, Eric Ebron, and he only allowed T.Y. Hilton, I think, two catches against him for something like nine yards. Now, if you want to say, if you want to include the two pass interference calls, you say a big 59, 60 yards or something like that, which still really isn't isn't a lot. T.Y. Hilton actually had more success against Ronald Darby on the day, and between the two of them, he only caught five passes for 50 yards. Uh, Mills had a couple good tackles in the flat, uh, one on um, – one on Hines and one on um, Wilkins as well. Uh, I think he was. I think he was pretty much steady. I know that people kind of looked at the last week um, Tampa game and kind of picked him out from the crowd. But on the Deshaun Jackson touchdown bomb, that was more Malcolm Jenkins' fault. Um, so I, I don't. I think people look at Jalen Mills in kind of like this light of. I think they get irked because he'll do a finger wag or some goofy bullshit after like a rudimentary play. Like something you're supposed to do, as Chris Rock would say, um, and that kind of you try that again. If you're gonna if you're gonna channel Chris Rock and deal, you're supposed bit to take care of your kids. <laughs> um, he Jalen Mills, you know, I think that I think that's what kind of bugs people because it's like things that are ordinary tasks or ordinary plays. I think he maybe he overdoes it, and that like the average Philly fan is like, oh, come on, bro, but. Um, no, I mean, I thought he was. I honestly thought he was pretty good in this game. People got to remember that Jalen Mills was a seventh round draft pick. You know, he 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 comes in in a year when they had Ron Brooks and Aaron Grimes competing for cornerback spots, and they had uh, Nolan Carroll and Leotis McKelvin. So he he 
gets in as the fourth quarter, fourth quarter, fourth corner as a rookie, and then McKelvin and Carroll don't really end up being anything, and he works his way into a spot where he's serviceable and good enough on a good unit as a whole. I don't, I don't think anybody's ever sat here saying that he's a world beater. You know, Jay, Jay, I think people look at Jalen Mills and they expect him to be Jalen Ramsey, and that's not what he ever has been, you know? Now you could say, okay, well, is that good enough for this team? I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe Sidney Jones is better on the outside. Maybe Mills is, maybe Mills uh, is is better as a slot corner, and then maybe you convert you convert Rasul Douglas to to a safety for next year. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to get super down on the guy just because he like, you know, he got burned once or twice, and he wags his finger after making a big tackle. Um, I, I saw I stuff think, in this game well, that was positive. Part of that- you know? Part of that, I think, was also just the way that like he he went into this past week, and and you know he clarified it since. But you know, last week going into the game, he said, "All those fake Eagles fans keep that same energy. When we start rolling and get back to where we're going to get at the end of the year, we don't want to hear from you." And I think a lot of people took that personally, and and you know, it seems like you know in his clarification, he meant it as you know more of like the bandwagon people who you know kind of decided last minute they liked the Eagles and. Um, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it kind of is what it is. You tweet something out and, and you know that it's a little bit too ambiguous. Like there is a chance that it's going to be misinterpreted. So, you know, wh- whoever the actual intended audience was, I don't think it matters. But, you know, I think he's he's kind of put a target on himself. And, you know, well, the only way to, to, to get rid of that target is, is for him to outplay expectations. And you're right. Like, was he a seventh round pick? Sure. Yeah. Has he outperformed what a seventh round pick should should be? Absolutely. At the same time, I think, you know, that's that's one way to kind of set a certain kind of expectation. But like, ultimately, as you're looking at a team that is the defending Super Bowl champion and, and you know, one of the top two, top three favorites in the conference to, to go and, you know, represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. You know, I don't know if a seventh round pick who's outperformed expectations is necessarily a guy that you want to rely on at, at outside corner. I think, uh... I'm not saying that he's awful. I'm not saying he's terrible. I'm just saying like, is that really the best that the team can do? And honestly, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I honestly have to give a commenter, an anonymous commenter, uh, credit for something on the Jalen Mills story from this morning. Um, he said, Jalen Mills is the Robert Covington of the Eagles, better than we give him credit for, but not great. I, I mean, I think there's something to be said for that. You know, I, I don't think, like in the case of Robert Covington, I don't. I think he's overrated by process people, but I think he's underrated by the average Sixers fan that just jumped back on the bandwagon, you know? Um, but to Doug Peterson said yesterday to his point and to Jim Schwartz's point today, they both said the same thing and they never really give you anything like this, which is why I wanted to take the quote and put it in the story. But, um, you know what, those two pass interferences that he had in the game, it's, it's just, it wasn't that he was in bad position. He got caught on underthrown balls, had to try to readjust. Couldn't, well, actually he did locate the football, but he's got his offhand wrapped around the guy. And that's what he's getting called for. It's not even that he's in bad positioning. He didn't get burned by Hilton on either play. He could not have because the ball was underthrown anyway. But that's why I cut the two still pictures and put them on the site. Because on the first one, he's got his right arm wrapped around Hilton uh, while he's defending with his left. And on the other one, he's got it the opposite way. So it's just corners just got to know technique-wise that you just can't brace yourself with that offhand and then defend with the other hand. It's just because you're going to do that right in front of the ref. They're going to flag it every time. So to, to me, it wasn't that he was like – hopelessly unathletic or getting torched um it would just look like mechanical things that were pretty easy to fix yeah i agree i i don't know i'm i'm gonna look forward to seeing how how this whole thing plays out with mills uh i think obviously we're gonna end up in a spot now where 
because Sidney Jones has excelled so much in the slot, there are going to be the people who are going to want to, you know, push Sidney Jones out to the outside and, and try to swap him or, mm-hmm. you know, make Jalen Mills into like a nickel corner or something. I don't know if that's the best way to go. Sidney Jones um, had a great but, play in that game where he got blocked, kept his footing, put his hands down, looked like a Brian Dawkins move or something, and then occupied a the blocker and uh, Mills came up and made a, a tackle on that play. He's He's been... He's been pretty good so far, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if they do that switch when they would make that. You know, because if they're winning games, you can't really justify it, can you? No, I don't. I don't think so. But if McLeod, listen, and if also McLeod like we go, we're not down. We're not down there every day. You know, doing a, a full analysis on, you know, the drills that are going on yeah. in practice, and and we're not able to to see necessarily if Sidney Jones's game and what he's able to do. You know. It, Obviously, he's another year removed from the uh, Achilles injury, but still don't know if he's back to a, a full 100%. And we also don't know like what his physical limitations are or his knowledge of the playbook limitations might be uh, for playing outside you know, versus the slot. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's interesting because you know, if Rodney McLeod can't go this week, um, you know, I think Tennessee has been running the ball a lot more than, than most other teams. So I, I, don't know, I don't know how much nickel and dime they're even going to be playing, but... Um, yeah, I guess I guess Corey Graham would probably be starting next to Malcolm Jenkins if 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 McLeod can't go, and uh, you know your nickel look would probably be the same. But if they go dime, I guess Rasul Douglas would be in there, you know. Um, so I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just interesting. I don't know. I just I just think Jalen Mills isn't. I don't think he's as bad as everybody <laughs> thinks he is, but he's he is what he is. He's a seventh round draft pick who's kind of been punching above his weight for most of his career, you know. Yep. I agree. What else we got? Was there anything uh, else from that? Really game? quick before before we go, USA. Uh, oh, no, I, I think we're I think we're good on. I think we're good on that. We'll be back again on okay. Friday to uh, to so, preview okay. the next game. But real quick before we head out, because it's you and it's me and and it's uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. How about a uh, a real quick preview of the uh, U.S. Open Cup final? Of course, you recorded a a new episode with uh, John Tannewald, yeah. right? Uh, for it's always soccer in Philadelphia that people should go listen to if they want a uh, a much more in depth breakdown. But how do you see this one playing out against the Houston Dynamo in Houston? Well, let me, yeah, I mean, because we have a non soccer crowd on on this podcast on the on the flagship podcast. So I guess I would just start like in a macro sense, saying that this is probably the most important game, most important week really in the in the union's history, and it would just go a long way for this team to win a trophy, you know, and to bring them some legitimacy in this city. Um, they've been an afterthought for the average four for four fan for a long time. Not really on the radar of the average sports fan here, but you go out, you win a trophy that qualifies you for the champions league, uh, next year. Um, you know, you we put that on the mantle and maybe the owner says, Hey, you know, we've, we've sniffed some success here. We're going to put more money into the product. Maybe local media outlets start taking the team more seriously. I don't know. It would be a big step forward in a in a macro sense in just kind of helping to grow the sport here and, and making the franchise bigger and better. So I think that's more of the takeaway for me from this whole thing is this idea that they can get the first piece of hardware in franchise history. Um, they're the favorite in this game, believe it or not. Uh, Houston's not really playing well. Uh, the Union have won something like, what, seven of their last – eight or, or whatever or six yeah. of their last eight um they're gonna make the playoffs um he, houston is a team that's got a lot of really good attacking pieces um alberta lease and romel kyoto um are two honduran internationals um they score a bunch of goals their defense isn't great they're probably just gonna sit back and counterattack for most of the game um they'll be interesting i mean it, the, the texas humidity and heat's always an issue if this game goes to extra time added time 
it goes to penalties. I don't I don't know what the union's legs are going to look like, but they've got as better as as good a chance as, as ever, um, you know, to win a trophy here, and it would just go a really long way towards, uh, you know, adding some leg- legitimacy to the franchise. You know. Yeah, for the uh, for the fans who might not totally understand, I th- I think we have tried to explain this on multiple occasions on multiple shows, but like the idea of what the U.S. Open Cup is versus the the postseason. You want to do a little breakdown? Oh yeah, sorry. So I mean, so um, you know, in in, in soccer, you play in Major League Soccer, you play all the other Major League Soccer teams, and that's your domestic season, right? You go to the playoffs, you win MLS Cup. It's just like any other sport, you know. Um, what the U.S. Open Cup is is a separate competition that takes place in the same calendar year, but it involves all teams in all divisions of American soccer. Um, that gives you the opportunity to win a separate trophy than the MLS Cup. Uh, so the best way I can describe it is, uh, say, the Philadelphia Phillies play the Mets and the Diamondbacks and the Giants and all the Major League Baseball clubs, and they compete for the playoffs in the World Series. But imagine you had another side competition that was going on at the same time that allowed like triple a and double a teams to take part in it. And maybe the Philadelphia Phillies played the, uh, the Lakewood blue claws or something. Right. And they were allowed to take part in this competition where you have the divisions, different divisions competing against each other. It basically is just a different set of teams, a separate competition that takes place in the same calendar year. So basically what it is, it's just another chance for them to win a, a piece of hardware within the same year. All right. I think it was a pretty, uh, pretty good, way to a good explanation, but yeah, listen, if you, if, you, was, if, yeah. you, if you're a four for four sports fan, not really a soccer person, and you're listening to this. Um, and, and you've, and you've never watched a union game before turn it on eight o'clock. I think it's on ESPN too. And, uh, you know, maybe see a Philly, double check it right yeah, maybe now. see a Philly team win their first trophy other, you know, if, if we, if we can, welcome gritty the flyers mascot <laughs> you know into our uh philadelphia fan culture then surely if the soccer team wins a trophy they could do a little thing at uh city hall you know and uh get the fans down there and get the sons of bengo and a rah-rah hey it's a it's a trophy for a philly team i think more than anything the thing that better the best marketing you can do is just to win <laughs> you know winning a winning a trophy would go a long way in, in you know helping that team be be more legitimate Hey, Adrian, what could I do? Win. Yeah, just win. What? Win. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's get it. <laughs> yeah. So that'd be great. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, uh, that hype yeah, reel. Yeah. So, no, it would be nice, though. It would be nice to win a trophy. It'd so, be cool. This uh, team's been through anyway. so much, so much horse shit. I mean, there's a lot of people down there who have worked through a cheap owner in a crappy location and, uh, you know, various other obstacles along the way. So it would be cool. I mean, look, I, I, yeah, you know, Flyers ain't won anything since 70, whatever. The Sixers haven't won it since 83. Phillies, it feels like 20, 2008 was forever ago. And of course, the Super Bowl last year, but hey, throw the union in the mix would be pretty cool. It would be. Uh, so yeah, it, it's going to be on ESPN2. If you're looking for the Spanish uh, telecast, it'll be on Univision Deportes Network. Ah, uh, que bien. Um, it, it, absolutamente. Gracias, yeah, see, uh, gracias yeah. senor. We'll que do que a Spanish crossing. Broad, uh, broadcast sometime. Cruzando broad. Yeah. Cruzando broad. Hola, bien. Hola, señores y señoras. <laughs> Bienvenidos. Yeah, see, no, Cruzando no, broad. No hablo mucho, pero um, you know, tra- trabajo con los jugadores de Philadelphia Union uh, en Chester por ocho años, sí. 
Yeah, okay. Escucho más, pero no hablo. Well, you could say trabajaba. Trabajaba ocho años, whatever. Trabajaba o trabajé. Depends. Depends on how you want to go. You go imperfecto or perfecto, whatever. Like, live your life. Uh, anyway. This has been so, your Spanish uh, moment. So, it's good. Brought to you by Crossing Broad. <laughs> Uh, anyway, go uh, go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including, of course, uh, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, which, uh, like I mentioned Kev- before, uh, you know, Kevin and John Tannewald did a, a much longer breakdown about the USM Cup final. So if you're looking to learn a little bit more, uh, go check that show out. Um, of course, Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, I believe, is recording Tuesday night for a Wednesday uh, drop, which means I'm going to wake up at like 5 a.m. to go edit their show. Uh, Snow the Goalie, we had on uh, Jordan Wheel from the uh, the Flyers. He's competing to be that uh, third center. We had an awesome interview with him. Uh, if you're ever looking for a, a reason to listen to a show, uh, let's just say that there is a, a story from Jordan Wheel about some drunk New York fans drinking beer out of prosthetic limbs. So I'll leave it mm. at that. So make sure you go check out uh, Snow the Goalie with me and Anthony. And uh, Crossing Bright FC at some point this weekend, we'll be uh, dropping an episode about uh, the domestic leagues going on internationally and all that. So uh for kevin i'm russ find us on twitter uh the links are in the uh, description of the episode so if you click on our uh our twitter handles it should take you right to our page and you can uh you know follow us from there go check out the uh the shows and uh you know big thank you again as always to amerigas and to tropicana sports for uh kevin i'm russ we'll be back on friday uh shoot any kind of uh, questions comments concerns you have to us on twitter and until friday uh we'll see you soon